Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Guys can grab a seat. Good morning again. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Hill City Church. We could literally go home and the gospel has been preached multiple times already. What a day it has already been. I believe, have, I believe that God has more for us. So if you've ever watched the movie The Patriot, uh, the main character is Benjamin Martin. And the beginning of the movie um, starts with the, with the phrase, he says this, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me and the cost is more than I can bear. And, and, and as you watch the movie, you're like, man, what, what could that be? What sins are we talking about? Like, what kind of darkness is there in Benjamin Martin that, that he would feel this way? And, and you learn that it was torturing and it was, it was killing and it was mutilating uh, during the French and Indian War. But what we learn right out of the gate, that Benjamin Martin was just haunted by this guilt. Well, that's a natural way to seem to view things, to view life. My concern here today is that many of us think and even maybe live just like Benjamin Martin. And I think to live like Benjamin Martin is to have actually a deep misunderstanding of how sin works and actually more of a misunderstanding of God and his heart. So maybe you're here this morning. I mean, listen, you could be following Jesus. Maybe you're just here because your, your mom wanted you to be here. I don't know. But maybe you're here and like this guilt that Benjamin Martin expressed or that I just explained, maybe that rings familiar in your heart. And I want you to know this morning that you no longer have to feel that way. You don't have to fear Sins coming back to haunt you. You don't have to fear penalty for your sins. You no longer have to carry guilt. Happy Easter. Because here's what I know. You, you can't fear and carry guilt and rest at the same time. It's an impossible thing to do. So followers of Jesus in the room, I have to think that's the majority of us. We need to constantly sharpen our view of God and his heart. For those of you who are in the room and you are not following Jesus, there are many of you in this room right now. You are not following Jesus. That is just a fact. Maybe you've never just properly understood God's heart. Here's what I want to let you know. No matter what, no matter which category, you need to know this. 
we've been praying like crazy for you. Like walking in and out of these seats, we have been asking that God would do something in your heart today. And I believe that he's going to do this. And here's the reality. The prescription for less fear, less guilt, no shame, more rest. There is a prescription for this. And that prescription is wave upon wave upon wave of the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your life. And that's what we're here to do today. So let's start with who God is. Because there's a misunderstanding, right? A lot of us have heard, uh, we've read the Old Testament. We've heard stories out of the Old Testament. And, and there's this misunderstanding that this God of the Old Testament that we read about is like this mean, judgmental, violent God. But then we have this God of the New Testament in the form of his son Jesus. And, and there is where, like, that's the loving God. And that's a misunderstanding because they're the same God. They have the same heart. So a correct view of God is not of a father whose identity is judgment and a son whose identity is love. I'll say it again. They are the same. So who is God? Well, I have an idea. Let's ask him. Like, listen, a profound tool for your tool belt is to go to someone and say, hey, tell me about yourself. We should do that more often, shouldn't we? Hey, just tell me about yourself. Now, here's the thing. We've all talked to those people. It's like, hey, tell me about yourself. And they start telling us about themselves. And immediately, they're like, this dude is full of crap. <laughs> like, he just told me he was supposed to be in the major leagues. I'm like, you, you know what I'm saying? But we still should ask people, hey, tell me about yourself. And, and we should ask God. So, so let's stop right here. Let's just stop, and we're going to pray. And I do this almost every Sunday, but it, it matters. So I really want to ask you to join me in this prayer. I don't want to be the only one praying this. So bow your heads, okay? Well, Father, here we are, and we're celebrating the, Jesus, your son, raising from the dead. Here, here's what we, right now, today, would you open our eyes that we would behold awesome things from your word, and more specifically, that we would listen to you and what you said of yourself and then believe that. God, I ask this to happen in so many hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I have some really, really, really good news. It's impossible for God to lie. So when we ask God, hey, tell me about yourself, he cannot lie. So everything that he tells us about himself in his word is absolutely true. Hebrews 6, Titus 1, Numbers 23 says, God cannot lie, it is impossible. So God comes on the scene and he's revealing himself to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Here's what God says about himself. God, tell us about yourself. Okay, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what God, who cannot lie, said about himself. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland says this, left to our own natural intuitions about God, we will conclude that mercy is his strange work and judgment is his natural work. That's what we conclude, but that's not what God says about himself. But for me, 
just some transparency. Brad, I expect God's heart to have, have, a, have a lean to, to vengeance. That's what I expect. Like, I, I expect God to get angry at my proneness to wonder, as the, as the song sa- says. Like, come on, God, you should be mad at me. But God's word in Lamentations chapter 3 says this. He does not afflict from his heart. He does not afflict from his heart. So maybe this morning you're here and you're one who thinks that, that God's heart is like easily insulted. Or maybe you're here and you've concluded that God's heart is like stone. Man, he's mean. He's callous. He's he's uneasily moved. Now there are a lot of reasons we can come to those conclusions. A lot of it might be how we were brought up and what we and, and maybe the way that our parents treated us. But either way, that is not what God says about himself. Is that what you have thought about God? Is it? Because here's the challenge for us this morning. Here's what I would like for us to do. I would like for us to set our minds on things that are above, as the Bible says. We set our minds. We have to, we have to think properly about God. We have to believe what God said about himself. So I've got some more really, really good news. You want to hear it? Doesn't matter what you say. We're, we're, we're doing it. Isaiah 55, chapter 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, now listen. We're drinking our, we got our coffee cup and we look and there's the verse on our coffee cup. And it's like, I know that's a good one for like after somebody just broke up with you. Right? His ways are higher than my way. And maybe that has brought you some comfort. That's okay, I suppose. But here's what, man, there is a phenomenal Bible verse that precedes verse 8 and 9. It's verse 7. Like, who has heard the passage that I just read? Right? It's very familiar. His ways are higher than our ways. Listen, praise God. Amen? Thank goodness his ways are higher than my ways. But listen, look at this. Look at verse 7 that comes before this idea of my thoughts are not your thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now let me pause before I read the rest of that. You need to understand something. In this room, are wicked and unrighteous or a bunch of us who used to be that? So let's not forget, those of us who are following Jesus, that used to be our identity. Let's not forget that. Okay? That's really important. But look, look what this says. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. That the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God. Return to our God for he will abundantly pardon And then he goes on to say, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
I know you think that I should just slam you hard right now, but my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I know you think I'm stone cold hard and I'm not soft and receptive, but my ways are higher than your ways. Come to me and I will abundantly pardon. Jesus loves to do this. Happy Easter, Hill City. He loves to pardon. So could it be, and listen, I want you to think about this. Could it be that the enemy's greatest victory in your life is actually not the sin that you might regularly partake in? It could be that the enemy's greatest victory in your life are the incorrect thoughts of God's heart that lead to those sins in the first place. It could be the incorrect thoughts of God's, uh, the incorrect thought about God and his heart that cause you to distance yourself from God. That could be the enemy's greatest victory in your life. God is merciful. That's what he said about himself. He's gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love. You need, listen, he never, ever runs out of this stuff. It's who he is. That's his heart. Gracious. Merciful, bounding in steadfast love. Well, what did he do? That's who God is, but what, okay, so that's, you, you just told me, we listen, okay, God, that's who you are, but listen, God did something. This God who is so slow to anger, he's merciful, he's bounding in steadfast love, he did something. And John tells us in verse 1, chapter 14, that, that this God that I just told you about, he actually put on flesh and he became a person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's what God says about himself, full of grace and truth. Do you believe him? Here's his heart. Oh, here's his heart. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. What's God's heart? I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the heart of God. But here it is. Here's the kicker. Hill City Church, get this. I am. Must, I have to come to God to experience his gentleness. It's not something I get from a distance. Like we have to come to him. And if you've never come to him, and and many of you have not, I want to share with you what your story is and what the Bible would say your story is because the Bible says this was all of our stories. Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 says this, if you've never come to God, if you've never come close to him, if you've you got to come to him to experience his gentleness. The reason that happens is because you're dead. That's what the Bible says. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. 
And the Old Testament alluded to this. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that leads to death. And it seems right to you. Like you think you're going the right way, but it actually leads to death because you're dead in your trespasses and your sins. Proverbs 12 then says, but there's also a way that leads to life. So here we are on Easter, and it's arguably the greatest question, maybe the most important question I could ask today. It's what, the, it's what the angel asked the ladies who were crying, and I just would ask this. Why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Maybe I'd word it this way. Why do you seek life among death? And if you're, if you're confused... This happens all the time. We go to things seeking life, never finding it there. Maybe it's leisure. Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's our family, whatever it is, but we're going everywhere except to Jesus. And it's the only place that we can find life. If you've never come to Jesus, it's because you are dead. And I need to make this very clear, not just to the people who are not following Jesus. Hill City, you need to know this this morning because we use a lot of language around here, but I just want to make sure that we're not fogging things up. The primary work of our king is not to repair broken people. Listen, he does that. Praise God. Just head nods at 8.30 gathering, okay? He does that. That's not his primary work. His primary work is not to energize tired people. His primary work is not to guide wandering people. His primary work is not to encourage discouraged people. He does that. We're grateful for that. But the primary work of King Jesus and why we're here and why we celebrate Easter is that his primary work is that he takes dead people and he makes them alive. That's what Easter is about. And some of you have never come to Jesus and the Bible says you're dead and you're trespassing and sins. But God told us this, he's rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. He, listen, he is ready, stands ready to forgive right this moment. He's not mad at you. Just come to him and experience his gentleness. How is this possible? Well, here we go again. More of the greatest news that you're ever going to hear in your life. It's Jesus. He came. God put on flesh. He lived a sinless life that you and I could never, ever live. And Jesus showed us in real life what the mercy and the love of God really looks like. And then he died a brutal death. We talked about it Friday night. He went to a cross and he died a brutal death. And then they buried him in the ground, and three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He is alive right now, today. We can all just go home right now if they would just show us a body, but they've never been able to show us a body, so we're still here because our king lives, and he lives. Like, like he, didn't just, he didn't just raise from the dead and go and, and, go and just kind of sit back and like, like watch the masters, okay? Like... He, he, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He ascended and he is in charge. Happy Easter, Hill City Church. Here's, what, here's something that, that, that Jesus said. He said, 
in John chapter 6, he said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'm going to read that one more time. Like this is a highlighter type. This is a highlighter type verse. If you're wired like me, I'm like circling this one. Wait, what? What, Jesus? What did you just say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he say, I will never cast out? Because at our wiring, we are prone to believe that we should be cast out. Because when people offend us, you know what we do? We cast them out. Oh, that's not our king. Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. If you're visiting, we have copies out there at the table. Go to our connections table, I'll give you one. If we run out, tell me, I'll get some more. I want you to hear this. We tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. We're wired to believe this. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. And Jesus says, I know. I'm God, I know. Well, you know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but, but there's perversity down inside of me that's hidden from everyone. Like, and Jesus says, no, no. I know every single bit of it. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past. It's my, like, it's right now. It's my present. And Jesus says, yeah, I understand. I know that too. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. And Jesus says, that's great. That's the kind of people I came here to help. The burden is heavy, and it's heavier all the time. And Jesus says, let me carry it then. It's too much to bear, Jesus. And Jesus says, not for me. Like he doesn't stop. We keep coming at him. He doesn't stop. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. Jesus, my offenses are like right, they're against you. I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. And Jesus says, then I'm the one most suited to forgive you then. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's really, really good news to this guy. 
Jesus loves you. Jesus is not intimidated by your sin. Happy Easter, Hill City. It's who he is. It's what he does. Well, what's he doing now? Brad, you keep talking about this. I mean, this stuff happened thousands of years ago. Like, what's going on now? Well, Hebrews tells us that that he's actually the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. What joy? What joy are they talking about in, who, in Hebrews? This joy. The, the joy that Jesus gets to just dump out his grace and mercy at every turn over and over and over again. There's nothing he likes to do more than that. Hebrews 7, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what's he doing now? That. Intercession is his work now. Like his death, his burial, his resurrection, all that accomplished now. He, listen, Jesus did something in the past that he has never stopped talking about to God the Father on our behalf. That's really, really good news. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can bring charge against the elect? The answer is nobody. So why would you bring a charge against yourself? If you're following Jesus, you are the elect. Quit bringing charges against yourself. So here's what I know. We're going to get really practical as we come down the stretch. I know some of the stories in this room, and I know there are stories that I don't know. I know my story. And for so many people in this room, like deep in the crevices of our lives. Like there, there, there's this thing. Or maybe there are these things. And they're dark. And they're hidden away. And in your mind you're like, man, these are untouchable. Like they're so dark. Like I've got to put these in a place. These are beyond healing. And it could be something that you did in your past. It could be something that you're buried neck deep in right now in the present. But in your mind, like, nope, this, this is too far gone. So what is it? What is it in your life that you might believe, man, that's just. People in the, listen, listen, I know stories of. Spouses who have been unfaithful. I know stories of young ladies who have terminated a pregnancy. Oh, I'm talking about in the room. I'm not talking about out there.
Listen, and, and it could be that it could be something like that. It could, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but like, and in your mind, you're like, this, Jesus will never heal this. Like, this is the, this is untouchable. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. He's able to save to the uttermost. That word uttermost means exhaustive wholeness. There is nothing in your life that he can't grab and restore and make right. He is able to do this wholly. He doesn't partially do it. Jesus, wherever that place is, you think nobody can go there. Jesus goes there. It's actually his joy to go there and just to apply his grace and mercy. He always lives. Happy Easter, Hill City. He always lives. Not sometimes lives. He always lives to make intercession. Jesus has never stopped bringing his atoning life and his death and his resurrection before God the Father. And he looks at us and he tells God the Father, all that that I suffered, I did it for her. She's mine. All that I went through, Father, all that cup of wrath I drank, I did it for him. I know what he did in college, covered. He's mine. Do you know God's heart? Do you know what he's done for you through his son Jesus? Do you know what he's doing right now? For those of us following Jesus, do you know what he's doing right now? Listen, he's he's not mad at you. He loves you. He deals gently. When you know God's heart, and those of us in the room, like 830, just give me some head nods at least here. When we know God's heart, when we know what God has done for us through his son Jesus, when we know what he's doing right now, listen, there is no space for guilt and shame, but there's a lot of space for rest. Happy Easter. Let's pray.